Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. We're excited today. <laughs> Gonna be a good one. It's October! It's apparently, uh, it's chilly time. I mean, it is chilly time. We've, we've solidly entered fall. We've, we have we've hit entered October. Fall. I, we were on a walk yesterday and, uh, I was cold coming home and it was like five o'clock. So I was actually, and I was wearing a sweatshirt. So fall entered and I was like, I'm making chili tonight. So we had chili last night. And I just had some leftovers, and it was delicious. The chili was delicious. I went back for seconds last night, and I went back for thirds last <laughs> night, and I spent the night regretting it from my gastrointestinal tract down. He's been farting a lot. <laughs> it's been a really gassy day. Yeah. Well, uh, all evidence to the contrary, we've got a really good show for you today. Um, with with lots to lots to do and lots to see and and uh, well not so much to see this is a podcast it's an audio medium we might put up some pictures we might put put up some pictures actually we probably will be putting up some pictures but um, more on that in a little bit yeah I have a couple of pictures that I know I'm gonna want to share but again oh, more on that in a bit even um, better I'm excited however. We do have lots to do in this episode, so I think we should get right to it with this. It's happening! Welcome to True, True Crimes, Crimes and the Lie! A game show within or next to our podcast yeah. where, um, where we try to figure out who made shit up and who really is a horrible person. Yay! And Lina's very excited That's, about it. That was not a very good tagline either. <laughs> that was terrible. That was a pretty bad tagline. Alright. Maybe you want to try it again. No, no. no I think I think gonna we're gonna sit go? we're gonna sit with that one uh, cool. until until next time. <laughs> Lina disapproves that. Lina did not like it. Do you want through the door? Lina wants no, she just wanted to make her presence known. She just wanted to say hi, everybody. All right. So for those of you who don't know the rules to True Crimes and a Lie, I'm going to read the synopses of three crimes. Two of them will be uh, crimes that actually happened, and one of them will be a crime that is the plot to a um, mystery or crime or thriller uh, novel or movie or some sort of criminal fiction. Yeah. Yay! Um, Typically, these things revolve around a uh, a central theme. Okay. And it See is if I can get this it theme. is Heather's job when I have finished reading all three crime synopses, not only to guess which one is the made up crime, or but the lie, the lie, uh, but also what my overarching theme is. I think this week you will definitely manage to snag the overarching theme. Okay. All right, I like that. Well, I'm um, one and one right now. So in far, the game. so far, we're doing one and one. So let's see. And, play uh, along at home. Play along at home. Also, uh, spoiler disclaimer: I will be reading the synopsis of a crime novel and or movie. So <laughs> if you don't like spoilers, go ahead and advance a couple of minutes until the end of this That's book. That's fair. All right. Let's do it. All right. So crime number one. Uh, there was a man named um, Martin Durham, and he was murdered. 
Rough start, right? Uh, his wife survived the ordeal and said that what had happened is a shooter broke in uh, and and shot both of them. No, that dumb butch shot him and <laughs> herself. I, I listened to enough true crime podcasts. Um, the police could not figure out what was going on. They were at a total loss for leads until a couple of weeks later. Uh, now, after because after Martin died and his uh, his wife went to the hospital for recovery, Mm -hmm. Martin's ex-wife took possession, temporary possession, of his pet parrot. She went to the police with a disturbing report. (laughs) The parrot had started repeating a two-minute-long argument between Mr. and Mrs. Durham, including a lot of screaming and crying that ended with him repeating the words over and over, don't fucking shoot. Don't fucking shoot. Don't fucking shoot. <laughs> I'm just imagining a parrot doing this. This is very Twin Peaks. Um, Mrs. Durham, of course, claimed that uh, this report was the vindictive creation of a jilted ex-wife. Uh, the parrot was never allowed to take the stand in court, <laughs> understandably, but this testimony did send the police on the right track, and after gathering more substantial evidence, Mrs. Durham, the current wife, was convicted of Mr. Durham's murder. Yeah, so, parrot. That's plot gotta, number one. Gotta watch the pets, man. Uh, plot number two also starts with a man dead. Okay. Um, a man named Archer Coe was found dead. Archer Coe. Uh, he'd been shot, found with a gun in his hand. Uh, it was assumed suicide, and this was immediately before he was going to be showing at, and, and was favored to do well, at the Long Island Kennel Club dog show. Is this the plot from uh, Best in Show? <laughs> this is not the plot to Best in Show. This is not a Christopher Guest movie, I promise. Not yet. It was soon discovered, confusingly, that his actual cause of death was a stab wound, so they figured that the police figured that the the gunshot and staging of the suicide was a way to try to to misdirect um, what was going on. Just like in the previous story, the police were at a loss when their prime suspect also turned up dead. Okay. So the guy that they assumed had killed Archer Coe because there was a long history of bad blood between these two um, also turned up dead. And then, shortly thereafter, one of the dogs in the show, a Doberman Pinscher, turned up injured. Looked like he had been struck by by something like a a metal pipe or a fire poker. No! No! So... um, No hurting the dogs. uh, Investigators thought they had figured out who committed the crime, but they were short on evidence to bring charges against the guy who they thought was guilty, a man whose name was Raymond Reed, I believe it's how it's pronounced, W-R-E-D-E. I'm guessing it's Reed, Reed. silent Silent W. W. Um, Mr. Reed was uh, an assistant to Mr. Coe. So they didn't have enough evidence to actually charge him, but what they did is is they basically... um, cornered him and started making accusations hoping he would give something away. Okay. He lashed out and uh, apparently what they think happened is the Doberman recognized the the guy who attacked him. Yeah. Because the Doberman uh, attacked this guy and like cornered him, pinned him, and the guy broke down and confessed. Yep. Dogs, no. Pets. 
That's the theme. Pets, pets is the theme, yes. <laughs> awesome animals. There you That's go. There the you theme. go. So we're we're one for two. Yay. You got one of them. All right. All right so the third, the third uh, crime uh, also starts with a dead man in his home. <laughs> and a theme of dead men. And a theme of dead men in their home. This guy's name was Kevin Butler. Okay. Found dead in his home, bound, beaten, and stabbed repeatedly. Ooh. Um, as apparently is often the case, investigators had no leads. The uh, murderer, and actually in this case murderers, had vanished without a trace. They had left n- no trace of who they were behind. Friends and family, of course, were were frustrated. They're like, oh, this is this is inexcusable. How did this happen? Uh, he was a good man. He was kind to animals. He had lots of pets. He often took in strays. Um, so everyone was really confused. Enter Larry Bird, Kevin's pet cockatoo. <laughs> I was like, wait, the, no. the basketball player? No, Kevin's pet cockatoo <laughs> named Larry Bird, who had attacked the intruders, getting some of their blood under its beak, <gasps> in its claws, and in fact, he uh, apparently one of the intruders must have wiped blood off of his head and smeared it on the wall, leaving DNA evidence. Now, thanks to the DNA evidence, investigators were able to track down one of the two men who then led them to the other. Uh, Turns out that one of the guys had recently been fired from Kevin Butler's pool business. Uh, (laughs) These two men turned on each other and disagreed over the exact timeline, but both confessed to having been part of it, and so both were arrested and convicted. Damn! Pets to the rescue! Yep. I love, I love, I love animals so much. So, we have three crimes. Okay. Um, uh, the parrot. Yep. The the dog show. Yep. And the, uh, cockatoo. Oh, I didn't even realize that it's actually two birds. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so... Number one, I seem to remember hearing about it in the news. Okay. Like, I remember there being some sort of, like, uh, uh, an animal, like, was basically the key witness because it was a parrot. And they can Can repeat sounds. Repeat things. So, um, I think that one is is a true crime. Okay. Because I seem to remember that. Okay. Of course, I could be wrong and it's the plot to something, but I'm going to stick with that. Okay. That's a true crime. Great. I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say number two is the lie, just okay. because um, I want Christopher Guest to like. <laughs> you want Christopher Guest to remake it? To remake it as like best in show two, best Revenge show. of the Doberman. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I love that. Okay, so Chris, I'm going with Chris two, Guest. If you're listening, which we know you are, we have a movie idea for you. All right, I'm going with two. You're I'm going, going with, with two. two. Is the is the fiction. Two is the fiction. Yeah. Okay. You are correct. Woo! Number two is the plot to the book and later movie, The Kennel Murder Case by S.S. Van Dyne. It did later, it became a movie a few years later. Okay. When was it written? In the 30s, I think. Oh, damn. Yeah. All right. So, guest, it's been a long time. It's due for a remake, and it would be great if it was, like, comedic. Um, (laughs) However... Uh, along the same lines of that one, I wanted to read this little snippet too. The headline of this article is Scooby Saves the Day. And it is about <laughs> a real life Scooby Doo made history when he took the witness stand to assist with his owner's murder trial. 
Scooby's 59-year-old owner was found hanging in her Paris apartment, her death initially presumed to be a suicide, but after the woman's family asked police to open a murder investigation, a suspect was identified and brought to court for a preliminary hearing. Scooby, the dog, then (laughs) took the stand to face the suspect, barking furiously when confronted with the alleged killer. The court monitor recorded Scooby's barks and general behavior throughout the cross-examination. Amazing. After Scooby gave his evidence, the judge praised him for his exemplary behavior and invaluable assistance, but the defense contended that the dog's evidence should not be taken too seriously. It's a dog. The investigation, as of when this article was printed, which I think was like six months ago, the investigation was continuing. Scooby-Dooby-Doo, where are you? You're in the courthouse testifying. (laughs) That's Um, awesome. But so the moral of this whole thing to me is uh, get a bird. Yeah, get a get a bird or a very loyal pet. Particularly one that can talk. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) Oh, hell yeah. All right. That That was... Was two crimes and a lie. True crimes and a lie. True crimes and a lie. about that one i was like it's either two or three and i'm just gonna go with i'm just gonna go with one well played yeah you nailed it thanks that's good so we're now we're now uh uh two two wins and one loss yeah cool that's good so two wins and a loss you now have a winning record congratulations (laughs) true true crimes and a lie two wins and a loss (laughs) so on to our story yippee Um, i'm reading yes you're reading today we're very excited about this one and um I, I know very little about the story, but I'm very excited about my my interesting facts about the, the writer. All right. Um, cool. So today's story was recommended by, and I apologize in advance for butchering your name, uh, Alia Ahmed. Um, she recommended this on the Facebook group Thinking Horror. Uh, it is... They're uh, turning it out. Oh, yeah. They, they did... They did. They did good work for us. They, they've. Thank they've been you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. More. Uh, so this is a sci-fi horror. It, that's the genre that it, it's it is given from 1907. Uh, a story called "The Voice in the Night." This the this was written by actually a guy that you mentioned last week as an admirer of Algernon Blackwood, uh-huh. uh, William Hope Hodgson was born on November 15th, 1877. I am, in my fun facts, getting nowhere near his death, so I'm not even going to share that date because oh. that that can come at another time. When we read him again. Um, when, if and when we read him again. Uh, his work as an author includes uh, essays, short fiction, novels, uh, and he covered many genres, including horror, fantasy, and science fiction. He also attracted much notice as a photographer and achieved accolades early in life as a bodybuilder. Yeah! <laughs> Here are a couple of the pictures oh of him God. as a bodybuilder, Wait. which we will be putting online. Wait, what? That's that's what bodybuilders look like in 1910. Pre-steroids. Way right. pre-steroids. Oh, look how normal. he Like, he, his arms are jacked. He kind of looks like Kurt Russell in uh, Jewel of the Nile. His arms. Michael Douglas? Michael. <laughs> <laughs> doo, doo. 
No, he kind of looks like Michael Douglas um, in Jewel in and uh, uh, Romancing the Stone. Yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll be putting up these pictures of um, bodybuilder uh, Hodgson. That's uh, hilarious. He on, looks like online. he does not. I mean, um, if you know what a bodybuilder is, if you think of like Arnold Schwarzenegger and like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah. This is not no, these, what he looks are, like. This is this is bodybuilding from the days of Eugene Sandow. This yeah. is this is back in the day. This is even pre um, like what's his name uh, from uh, Rocky Horror, uh, not Rocky. The, oh, Steve uh, Reeves. Steve Reeves. Yes, this is. Oh, this is this way is before Steve Reeves. Sixty years pre yeah. Steve Reeves. Yeah. yeah. Um, but these photos and other photos of him, if you're interested, are uh, available on the Pinterest page Victorian Hottie of the Week. Um, that is amazing. <laughs> I kind of want to create Tinder accounts with these photos. <laughs> <laughs> or grinder, depending on, depending on my mood. Depending um, on, I yep. do like to create fake accounts on those, um, and, uh, um, see what people will do and say. I'm, I'm bored, y'all. <laughs> so, uh, William Hope Hodgson ran away from boarding school when he was 13 because he wanted oh, to become a sailor. Oh, I thought he wanted to be a bodybuilder. No, he wanted to become a sailor. Um, he was caught and returned to his family, but he eventually got his father's permission to become a cabin boy, and he began uh, a cabin boy apprenticeship in 1891. Uh, Hodgson's father died, leaving his family kind of broke, uh, and while Hodgson was sailing, his family mostly survived on charity of, of friends and neighbors. Okay. Um, after his apprenticeship ended, he passed his tests to receive his mate's certificate. Ooh. And he began uh, a sailing career. So he was able to start making money for his family. He, he was able to provide for his family as a sailor. He's a, um, he's a sailor. However, in his early years, Hodgson was bullied. Um, he was relatively short and had what was described by one friend as a sensitive, almost beautiful face yeah, that made him irres an irresistible target for bullying semen. <laughs> <laughs> which, oh, no! Which, at sea in those days, po <laughs> potentially can be taken quite accurately both ways. Yes, yes, it can. Um... Yeah, don't be a bullying semen. Like, come don't, on. Don't be a bullying semen. Oh, they were just jealous because he was pretty he was and all pretty. the ladies when they'd go to port were like, hey. So he started working out. That, okay. Very quickly, the bullying stopped. Oh, yeah. Since the older sailors weren't fond of getting their asses kicked by the pretty-faced new guy. Oh, my God, yes. Yes, queen. Um, the theme of bullying. <laughs> The bullying of apprentices by older sailors and taking revenge apparently is a frequent theme okay. in his in some of his seafaring All right. stories. Alright. Um he was granted the Royal Humane Society Medal for Heroism for saving another sailor who had fallen from the top mast into shark infested <gasps> waters off the coast of New Zealand. He jumped he, in he the dove water in and saved a fellow sailor from the sharks. Off of New Zealand. Damn. At 22 years old, he opened. Wait, he's only 22 at this point. All right. At 22 years old, he opened a school for physical culture as the inventor and teacher of quote a system that will cure indigestion. He offered specialized <laughs> and individualized personal training programs. His customers included local law enforcement. 
Oh However, my god, he's a cro- he's the original CrossFit. He's he's a, he's a personal trainer. He's like the original like Equinox. And yeah. Like... However, despite his popularity, he was not able to make enough money as a personal trainer to survive. So he shut down the business and started writing articles like Physical Culture versus Recreative Exercises, published in 1903. Okay. Um, one of these articles, Health from Scientific Exercise, featured photographs of Hodgson demonstrating his exercises. So he was posing himself to demonstrate all these exercises. He would I have done find that book. He would have done really well in today's world of celebrity workouts and diets in every magazine, but at the time there was limited appeal. Well, yeah. So uh, inspired by authors like Edgar Allan Poe, H.G. Wells, Jules Verne, Arthur Conan Doyle, Hodgson turned his attention to writing fiction and published his first short story, The Goddess of Death, in 1904, Wait, followed shortly by oh. A Tropical Horror in 1905. So he was born in... So he's 26, 27, this something like that. guy has had 12 lives and he's 26. Um... Yeah. He has been a runaway from boarding school, a sailor, um, a, a freaking like guru of physical fitness and like personal training, and now he's like, mm, I'm gonna be a fiction writer. Uh, I'm gonna go be a fiction writer now, uh, and that is as far in his life as I am going to get, right okay. to the beginning of his writing career, because that, as you just said, is enough for several lifetimes. Yeah, I mean, Lord, this guy, I'm fascinated. These, so. these. These back in the day people did so much because it was before the internet and television. Yeah. <laughs> like. um, so, today's story is The Voice in the Night. Ooh, it's spooky season. Let's get this fire started. The Voice in the Night by William Pope Hodgson. It was a dark, starless night. We were becalmed in the northern Pacific. Our exact position I do not know, for the sun had been hidden during the course of a weary, breathless week by a thin haze which had seemed to float above us, about the height of our mastheads, at whiles descending and shrouding the surrounding sea. It's my second ocean story. Another <laughs> ship story. I miss, I miss the ocean. <laughs> I miss the ship. Shout out to all the cruise people that... You know, we're all fucked right now, but, you know. Back to the sea. With there being no wind, we had steadied the tiller, and I was the only man on deck. The crew consisted of two men and a boy were sleeping for it in their den, while Will, my friend, and the master of our little craft, was aft. What's that mean? In the back. In the back was aft in his bunk on the port side of the little cabin. I understood that. <laughs> Suddenly... Port means left. Yeah. Not really tasty wine, although it's that too. Port is also delicious wine, but he was not um, on the port... I think that should be the... Uh, when you're drunk on port, you're on the port side. <laughs> you're aft on the port side. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a little apt on the port my, side. I was my, hanging out with Fraser Crane last my, night. My aft is on the port side right now. Woo! <laughs> I think your aft was on the port side after the chili. Suddenly, from out of the surrounding darkness, there came a hail. Schooner ahoy! 
The cry was so unexpected that I gave no immediate answer because of my surprise. It came again, a voice curiously throaty and inhuman, calling from somewhere upon the dark sea, away on our port broadside. Scooter ahoy! Nice, nice adaptation. I had, I had to adjust. Yeah, that was that was good. That was, was good taking little, of notes. A little bit better. I'm I'm good at taking notes. Um, hello, hello. I sung out, having gathered my wits somewhat. What are you? What do you want? You need not be afraid, answered the queer voice. Oh, yeah, that's a great way. <laughs> no! That, like, I'm sorry. Absolutely turn that effing boat in the other direction and get out of there. That's some haunted shit, Black Pearl shit right yeah, there. Yeah, uh-uh. uh-uh. Or it's a pirate ship. And, like, yeah, it's either something, like, that's dead or something that wants you dead. That's all. <laughs> Just saying. Tips for life. Ah, you need not be afraid, answered the queer voice, having probably noticed some trace of confusion in my tone. I am only an old man. The pause sounded oddly, but it was only afterwards that it came back to me with any significance. Uh Uh-oh. Why don't you come alongside then, I queried somewhat snappishly, for I liked not his hinting at my having been a trifle shaken. I, I can't. It wouldn't be safe. I... The voice broke off, and there was silence. What do you mean, I asked. I think this guy's aft on the port side. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I can't. (laughs) What do you mean, I asked, growing more and more astonished. Why not safe? Where are you? I listened for a moment, but there came no answer, and then a sudden indefinite suspicion of I knew not what coming to me. I stepped swiftly to the binnacle. Binnacle? Binnacle. Not pinnacle. Binnacle. Gotta check. Look that baby up. What is a binnacle? Binnacle. A built-in housing for a ship's compass. Oh, okay. Oh, so it's like by the steering wheel, so you can see it's like the, yeah, the it's, glass it's, over the, it's the so it doesn't get the, that wet. That box and, yeah. that the compass sits in on a ship. Very cool. Huh. I did not know that. Binnacle. Okay. And I took out. Okay, so I stepped swiftly to the binnacle and took out the lighted lamp. At the same time, I knocked on the deck with my heel to waken Will. Then I was back at the side, throwing the yellow funnel of light out into the silent immensity beyond our rail. As I did so, I heard a slight muffled cry, and then the sound of a splash, as though someone had dipped oars abruptly. Yet I cannot say that I saw anything with certainty, save it seemed to me that with the first flash of the light there had been something upon the waters where now there was nothing. No. Someone doesn't like light. Nope. Someone doesn't like... It's a vampire. It's a vampire. It's a vampire. Or possibly... It's a vampire pirate. It's a vampire or possibly a giant cockroach. (laughs) I don't think cockroaches swim. Do they? Well, far as I I know, neither do vampires, but cockroaches do scatter when you turn the lights on. Yeah, but I'm just now imagining like giant cockroaches that can now traverse oceans. Ew! Giant, Giant... Cockroach sea monsters. Oh my god, gross. They travel in packs. Anyway, gross. Um, hello there, I called. 
What foolery is this? But there came only the indistinct sounds of a boat being pulled away in the night. Then I heard the then I heard Will's voice from the direction of the after scuttle. What's up, George? <laughs> <laughs> I love that he's like, what foolery is this? And his friend comes out from the cabin. He's like, sup, George? It's Bugs Bunny. <laughs> what? what, what? Nah, what's, what's up, up George? George? <laughs> um, what's up, George? Come here, Will, I said. What is it? <laughs> yes, coming across the deck. He's like, I haven't even had my coffee yet, dude. <laughs> I told him the queer thing which had happened. He put several questions. He put several questions. Then, after a moment's silence, he raised his hands to his lips and hailed, "Boat ahoy!" Uh oh. From a long distance away, there came back to us a faint reply, and my companion repeated his call. Presently, after a short period of silence, there grew on our hearing the muffled sound of oars at which Will hailed again. This time, there was a reply. Put away the light! Ew! <laughs> no! First he says, you need not be afraid, and then they're like, put away the light? Come on, this is sketchy. You don't have real. to be afraid. Just don't look at me. Oh no, it's a vampire. <laughs> it's a sea vampire. It's it's a, a merpire. Mer mer Or mervamp. Mervamp <laughs> sounds like a style of burlesque that <laughs> has been looked over. <laughs> mervamp is one hundred percent a kind of gothic style of burlesque that has been wildly looked over. And I think that's our next project. <laughs> We're going to be hot at the Renaissance fairs when they get back. <laughs> <laughs> and here they come, the Mervamps. <laughs> the Mervamps. The Mervamps at a Renaissance fair near you. Supernatural sword fighting burlesque. Uh, fuck yeah, trademark. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This time there was a reply. Put away the light. I'm damned if I will, I muttered, but Will told me to do as the voice bade. Will Will's in on it. And I shoved it down under the bulwarks. Come nearer, he said, and the oar strokes continued. Then, when apparently some half dozen fathoms distance, they again ceased. Come along, come alongside, exclaimed Will. There's nothing to be frightened on board here. Promise that you will not show the light? What's to do with you, I burst out, that you're so infernally afraid of the light? Because, began the voice and stopped short. Because what? I asked quickly. <laughs> Will put his hand on my shoulder. Shut up a minute, old man, he said in a low voice. Let me tackle him. <laughs> Will! Will is awake, and he wants to attack this man. All right, cool. Will, Mervamp Hunter. <laughs> All righty, here we go. Joss Whedon, if you're looking for a sequel to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, my Will, God. Will, Mervamp Hunter. We're giving so many good ideas to. This is a good one. We got Christopher Guest. We oh, got my Josh brain is Whedon. Rolling today. Yeah, I think we're gonna have a very creative evening. All right. Uh, shut up, old man. He said in a low voice. Let me tackle him. 
He leant more over the rail. Oh, God, he's going to get pulled in. Oh, God. See here, mister, he said. This is a pretty queer business, you coming upon us like this, right in the middle, out of the blessed Pacific. How are we to know what sort of hanky-panky trick you're up to? Now I feel like they have, like, southern accents. You say there's only one of you. How are we to know, unless we get a squint at you, eh? What's your objection to the light, anyway? As he finished, I heard the noise of the oars again, and then the voice came, but now from a greater distance and sounding extremely hopeless and pathetic. I am sorry. I am sorry. Sorry, I would not have troubled you, only I am hungry, and so is she. The voice died away, and the sound of the oars dripping irregularly was borne to us. Stop, sung out Will. I don't want to drive you away. Come back. We'll keep the light hidden if you don't like it. He turned to me. It's a damned queer rig, this, but I think there's nothing to be afraid of. There was a question in his tone <laughs> and, and in the writing. And I replied, no, I think the poor devil's been wrecked around here and gone crazy. The sound of the oars drew nearer. Shove that lamp back in the binnacle, said Will. Then he leaned over the rail and listened. I replaced the lamp and came back to his side. The dipping of the oars ceased some dozen yards distant. Won't you come alongside now, said Will in an even voice. I have had that lamp put back in the binnacle. I cannot, replied the voice. I dare not come nearer. I dare not even pay you for the, the provisions. That's all right, said Will, and hesitated. You're welcome to as much grub as you can take. Again, he hesitated. You are very good, exclaimed the voice. May God, who understands everything, reward you. It broke off huskily. The, the lady, said Will abruptly, is she... I have left her behind upon the island, came the voice. What island? Oh, we're, it's lost. It's lost now. <laughs> what island? I cut in. I know not its name, returned the voice. I would to God. It began and checked itself as suddenly. Could we not send a boat for her? Asked Will at this point. No, said the voice with an extraordinary emphasis. My God, no. There was a moment's pause, then it added in a tone which seemed a merit reproach. It was because of our want I ventured, because her agony tortured me. What is going like, on? This is um, creepy. Ila, Ila Sorna? Oh, yeah. It's Jurassic Park. <laughs> no, for the love of God, don't, don't come, come to, to the, the island. island. <laughs> um... It was because of our want I ventured, because her agony tortured me. I am a forgetful brute, exclaimed Will. Just wait a minute, whoever you are, and I will bring you up something at once. In a couple of minutes, he was back again, and his arms were full of various edibles. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if she's in agony. I mean, if she's struggling, take a couple edibles and just chill out on your island, It's the way man. to do it. It's the way to do it. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm talking like Caribbean islands edibles. <laughs> Brought up some edibles. <laughs> Where was I? 
brought up some edibles. Yeah, I'm trying to find. Uh, full of various edibles. He paused at the rail. Can you come alongside for them, he asked. No, I dare not, replied the voice. And it seemed to me that in its tone I detected a note of stifled craving, as though the owner hushed a mortal desire. It came to me then in a flash that the poor old creature out there in the darkness was suffering for actual need of which will held in his arms and yet because of some intelligible dread refrained from dashing to the side of our little schooner and receiving it and with the lightning-like conviction there came the notice that the invisible was not mad but sanely facing some intolerable horror damn it will i said full of many feelings over which predominantly a vast sympathy get a box we must float off the stuff to him in it this we did propelling it away from the vessel out into the darkness by means of a boat hook in a minute a slight cry from the invisible came to us we knew that he had secured the box good yay a little later he called out a farewell to us and so heartful a blessing that I am sure we were both better for it. Then, without more ado, we heard the ply of oars across the darkness. Pretty soon off, remarked Will, with perhaps just a little sense of injury. Wait, I replied. I think somehow he'll come back. He must have badly needed that food. And the lady, said Will. For a moment, he was silent. Then he continued. It's the queerest thing I've ever tumbled upon since I've been fishing. Yes, I said, and fell to pondering. And so the time slipped away, an hour, another, and still Will stayed with me. For the queer, the queer, queer is this writer's favorite word. It has been used at least ten times. I mean, it is... Uh, odd. I mean, it, it's a very it odd is, story. It is a descriptive word. It is a very descriptive word. I'm just like, there are other ones. I, I guess Will Hodgson's didn't have a thesaurus yet. And so the time slipped away. An hour, another, and still Will stayed with me, for the queer adventure had knocked all desire for sleep out of him. <laughs> yeah. The third hour was three parts through, when we heard again the sound of the oars across the silent ocean. Dude's coming back. Listen, said Will, a low note of excitement in his voice. He's coming, just as I thought, I muttered. The dipping of the oars grew nearer, and I noted that the strokes were firmer and longer, the food had been needed. They came to a stop a little distance off the broadside, and the queer voice came again. There it is again. Queer voice came again to us through the darkness. Schooner ahoy! That you? asked Will. Yes, replied the voice. I left you suddenly, but, but there was great need. The lady? questioned Will. The... Lady is grateful now on earth. She will be more grateful soon in, in heaven. Oh, shit. Will began to make some reply in a puzzled voice, but became confused and broke off short. That's fair. There's a lot of becoming confused going around. Yeah. Holy crap. What? <laughs> so she had her last meal and now she's and now going she's to die? die? <laughs> what? Um, I said nothing. I was wandering at the curious pauses, and apart from my wonder, I was full of a great sympathy. The voice continued, We, 
She and I have talked as we shared the result of God's tenderness and yours. Will interposed, but without coherence. I beg of you not to, to belittle your deed of Christian charity this night, said the voice. Be sure that it has not escaped his notice. It stopped, and there was a full minute's silence. Then it came again. We have spoken together upon that which, which has befallen us. We had thought to go out without telling any of the terror which has come into our lives. She is with me in believing that tonight's happenings are under a special ruling, and that it is God's wish that we should tell you all that we have suffered since, since... Yes, said Will, softly, since the sinking of the albatross. Ah, I exclaimed involuntarily. She left Newcastle for Frisco some six months ago and has not been seen since. Yes, answered the voice, but some few degrees to the north of the line she was caught in a terrible storm and dismast. When the day came, it was found that she was leaking badly and presently it fallen to a calm the sailors took the boats leaving leaving a young lady my fiance and myself upon the wreck that's messed up deal weed sailors we see seamen fucking bully seamen <laughs> yeah so they've been working out on this island and now they're gonna kick some ass uh, we were below, gathering together a few of our belongings when they left. They were entirely callous through fear, and when we came up upon the decks, we saw them only a few small shapes afar upon the horizon. Yet we did not despair. We set to work and constructed a small raft. Upon this we put such few matters as it would hold, including a quantity of water and some ship's biscuit. Then the vessel being very deep in the sea, we got ourselves onto the raft and pushed off. It was later when I observed that we seemed to be in the way of some tide or current which bore us from the ship at an angle, so that in the course of three hours by my watch, her hull became invisible to our sight, her broken masts remaining in view for a somewhat longer period. Then toward evening it grew misty, and so through the night. The next day we were still encompassed by the mist. The weather remained quiet. For four days we drifted through this haze, until on the evening of the fourth day there grew upon our ears the murmur of breakers at a distance. Gradually it became plainer, and somewhat after midnight it appeared to sound upon either hand at no very great space. The raft was raised upon a swell several times, and then we were in smooth water, and the noise of the breakers was behind. When the morning came, we found that we were in a sort of great lagoon, but of this we noticed little at the time, for close before us, through the enshrouding mist, loomed the hull of a large sailing vessel. With one accord we fell upon our knees and thanked God, for we thought this was the end of our perils. We had much to learn. <laughs> oh, no. 
Ruh row. Oh, damn. They've been through a shipwreck, lost at sea, and now they've found something that apparently is not good. All right, here we go. The raft drew near the ship, and we shouted on them to take us aboard, but none answered. Presently, the raft touched against the side of the vessel, and seeing a rope hanging downward, I seized it and began to climb. Yet I had much ado to make my way up because of a kind of gray, lichenous fungus, which had seized upon the rope and which blotted the side of the ship lividly. I reached the rail and clambered over it onto the deck. Here I saw that the decks were covered in great patches with the gray masses, some of them rising into nodules several feet in height, but at the time I thought less of this matter than of the possibility of there being people aboard the ship. I shouted, but none answered. Then I went to the door below the poop deck. <laughs> it's never not funny. It's so... Who named something the poop deck? <laughs> Unless it's where you poop. Which, I don't know. Is that where they pooped? I still don't even know what a poop deck is. Really? No. The poop deck. Because we definitely did not talk about the poop deck upon the cruise the, ship. The, the poop deck on old sailing ships is um, that the that highest part way in the back. Where they, where, they like the, the steering the wheel. The steering wheel is, that's the poop deck. Why? Yeah. Why is it called poop? Uh, why do they call it the poop deck? Originally, I'm... originating from the Latin term for a vessel's stern side, poopus. The poop deck is located on the vessel's stern. Poopus. I shouted, but none answered. Then I went to the door below the poop deck. The stern deck. I opened it and peered in. There was a great smell of staleness, so that I knew in a moment that nothing living was within. And with the knowledge, I shut the door quickly, for I suddenly felt lonely. I went back to the side where I had scrambled up. My, my sweetheart was still sitting quietly upon the raft. Seeing me look down, she called up to know whether there was anyone aboard of the ship. I replied that the vessel had the appearance of having been long deserted, but that if she would wait a little, I would see whether there was anything in the shape of a ladder by which she could ascend to the deck. Then we would make a search through the vessel together. A little later, on the opposite side of the decks, I found a rope side ladder. This I carried across, and a minute afterwards she was beside me. Together we explored the cabins and the apartments and the after parts of the ship, but nowhere was there any sign of life. Here and there, within the cabins themselves, we came across odd patches of what queer fungus, but this, as my sweetheart said, could be cleansed away. In the end, having assured ourselves that the after portion of the vessel was empty, we picked our way to the bows, between the ugly gray nodules of that strange growth, and here was made a further search which, which told us that there was indeed none aboard but ourselves. This being now beyond any doubt, we returned to the stern of the ship and proceeded to make ourselves as comfortable as possible. Together we cleared out and cleaned two of the cabins, and after that I made examination. Did they clean two cabins because they're not married yet? Yeah. So, oh my God, come on, you're shipwrecked. Just share the... 
captain's cabin and get over yourselves. <laughs> no, 100%. It's not the Christian thing to do. They're not married, so they can't oh, sleep in the same Lord, bed. Lord, indeed. Oh, my goodness gracious. I have words for this. Together, we cleared out and cleaned two of the cabins, and after that, I made examination whether there was anything eatable in the ship. This, I soon found, was so, and thanked God in my heart for his goodness. In addition to this, I discovered the whereabouts of the fresh water pump, and having fixed it, I found the water drinkable, though somewhat unpleasant to the taste. I just had a thought. For several days, we stayed aboard the ship without attempting to get to the store. Sure. <laughs> there was a speck from my spit on the thing. <laughs> and it looked like the store. I'm like, oh, they go into the mall? <laughs> why, didn't, why didn't you go to the store in the first place? You to the store and gotten some good water. Is there a five below down the street? Seriously, go there. 7-Eleven. Uh, Wawa. For several days, we stayed aboard the ship without attempting to get to the shore. We were busily engaging in making the place habitable. Yet, even thus early, we began... We, Yet, even thus early, we became aware that our lot was even less to be desired than might have been imagined. For though, as a first step, we scraped away the odd patches of growth that had studded the floors and walls of the cabins and saloon, yet they returned almost to their original size within the space of 24 hours, which not only discouraged us, but gave us a feeling of vague unease. Still, we would not admit ourselves beaten, so set to work afresh, and not only scraped away the fungus, but soaked the places where it had been in carbolic, 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 a can of which I found in the pantry, <laughs> some sort of disinfectant or like bleach or something. Carbolic soap, sometimes referred to as red soap, is a mildly antiseptic soap containing carbolic acid. Oh, shit. Um, so presumably when when he says carbolic, uh, he's it's talking a, about it's a cleaning carbolic supply. acid. Yeah, okay. it's, a, it's a soap. With carbolic, a canful of which I found in the pantry. Yet by the end of the week, the growth had returned in full strength, and in addition, it had spread to other places, as through our torching it had allowed germs from it to travel elsewhere. Blew. On the seventh morning, my sweetheart woke to find a small patch of it growing on her pillow, ew, close to her face. At that, she came to me so soon as she could get her garments upon her. <laughs> Come on. They're, they're the only two people stranded on an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Lucky I, to be alive. I, I think modesty can go out the window. I think they could stay in the same room for safety purposes. Like, let's be real here. Like, just drag another bed in there if you're so scared. Like, you can sleep like people did in the 50s sitcoms or some shit. <laughs> His and hers twins. Oh, my God. <laughs> At that, she came to me so soon as she could put her garments upon her. I was in the galley at the time, lighting the fire for breakfast. Come here, John, she said, and led me aft. When I saw the thing upon her pillow, I shuddered. And then, there we agreed to go right out of the ship, and see whether we could not fare to make ourselves more comfortable ashore. Hurriedly, we gathered together our few belongings, and even among these, I found that the fungus had been at work. 
for one of her shawls had a little lump of it growing near one edge. I threw the whole thing over the side without saying anything to her. The raft was still alongside, but it was too clumsy to guide, and I lowered down a small boat that hung from the stern, and in this we made our way to shore. Yet, as we drew near it, I became gradually aware that here, the vile fungus which had driven us from the ship was growing riot. In places it rose into horrible, fantastic mounds, which seemed almost to quiver as with a quiet life when the winds blew across them. Here and there it took on the forms of vast fingers, and in others it just spread out flat and smooth and treacherous. Odd places it appeared as grotesque, stunted trees, seeming extraordinarily kinked and gnarled, the whole quaking vilely at times. At first, it seemed to us that there was no single portion of the surrounding shore which was not hidden beneath the masses of the hideous lichen. Yet, in this, we found we were mistaken. For somewhat later, coasting along the shore at a little distance, we, decri we decried, descried, descried, we descried, are you looking it up? To descry, to catch sight of. Ah, yes. We descried a smooth white patch of what appeared to be fine sand, and there we landed. It was not sand. <laughs> what it was, I do not know. All I have observed is that upon it the fungus will not grow while everywhere else, save where the sand-like earth wanders oddly, pathwise amid the gray desolation of the lichen, there is nothing but the loathsome grayness. It is difficult to make you understand how cheered we were to find one place that was absolutely freed from the growth, and here we deposited our belongings. Then we went back to the ship for such things as seemed to us we should need. Among other matters, I managed to bring ashore with me one of the ship's sails, which I constructed two small tents. <laughs> I am so... These you people... Don't do your thing. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, no. <laughs> I constructed two small tents, which, though exceedingly rough-shaped, served the purposes for which they were intended. In these, we lived and stored our various necessities, and thus for a matter of some four weeks all went smoothly and without particular unhappiness. Indeed, I may say with much happiness, for for we were together in separate tents. It was on the thumb of her right hand. Oh, no. It was on the thumb of her right hand that the growth first showed. It was only a small circular spot, much like a little gray mole. My God, how the fear leapt to my heart when she showed me the place. We cleansed it between us, washing it with carabolic and water. In the morning of the following day, she showed her hand to me again. The gray, warty thing had returned. For a little while, we looked at one another in silence. Then, still wordless, we started again to remove it. In the midst of the operation, she spoke suddenly. "'What's that on the side of your face, dear?' Her voice was sharp with anxiety. I put my hands up to feel. "'There, under the hair by your ear. A little to the front a bit?' My finger rested upon the place, and then I knew. "'Let us get your thumb done first, I said, and she submitted only because she was afraid to touch me until it was cleansed. 
I finished washing and disinfecting her thumb, and then she turned to my face. After it was finished, we sat together and talked a while of many things, for there had come into our lives sudden, very terrible thoughts. Did they want to, like, have sex before they die? <laughs> I would at this point. I'd just be naked and drinking all the port they found in the app. <laughs> um, port in the aft side. <laughs> aft in the port side. Whew! We were all at once afraid of something worse than death. We spoke of loading the boat with provisions and water and making our way out to sea, yet we were helpless for many causes, and, and the growth had attacked us already. We decided to stay. God would do with us what he will. We would wait. A month, two months, three months passed, and the places grew somewhat, and there had come others. Yet we fought so strenuously with the fear that its headway was but slow, comparatively speaking. Occasionally we ventured off to the ship for such stores as we needed. There we found that the fungus grew persistently. One of the nodules on the main deck became soon as high as my head. We had now given up all thought or hope of leaving the island. We had realized that it would not be allowable to go among healthy humans with this thing from which we were suffering. With this determination and knowledge in our minds, we knew that we should have to husband our food and water, but not each other. <laughs> Sorry. That we would have to husband our... So husband, I'm assuming that means ration. Husband, take care of. Take care of, yeah. That we should have to husband our food and water, for we did not know at the time that we would possibly live for many years. This reminds me that I have told you that I am an old man. Judged by years, this is not so, but... But... He broke off, then continued somewhat abruptly. As I was saying, we knew that we should have to use care in the matter of food, but we had no idea how little food there was left of which to take care. It was a week later that I made the discovery that all the other bread tanks, which I had supposed full, were empty, and that beyond odd tins of vegetables and meat and other matters, we had nothing on which to depend but the bread in the tank, which was already opened. After learning this, I bestirred myself to do what I could and set to work at fishing at the lagoon, but with no success. At this, I was somewhat inclined to feel desperate until the thought came to me to try outside the lagoon in the open air. Here at times I caught odd fish, but so infrequently that they proved of but little help in keeping us from the hunger which threatened. It seemed to me that our deaths were likely to come by hunger and not by the growth of the thing which had seized our bodies. We were in this state of mind and the fourth month wore out. Then I had made a very horrible discovery. One morning, and another one? One, this is just like, thanks, Debbie Downer. <laughs> this is the longest sad story of all time. Uh, Let me tell you a series of unfortunate of, events. Yeah, Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events. One morning, a little before midday, I came off from the ship with a portion of the biscuits which were left. In the mouth of her tent, I saw my sweetheart sitting, eating something. What is it, my dear? I called out as I leapt ashore. Yet on hearing my voice, she seemed confused, and turning slyly threw something towards the edge of the little clearing. 
It fell short, and a vague suspicion had arisen in me. I walked across and picked it up. It was a piece of the gray fungus. As I went to her, with it in my hand, she turned deadly pale and then rose red. I felt strangely dazed and frightened. My dear, my dear, I said, and could say no more, yet at my words she broke down and cried bitterly. Gradually, as she calmed, I got from her the news that she had tried it the preceding day and liked it. Yes, she did. <laughs> Uh-oh. And liked it. I got her to promise on her knees not to touch it again. Yes, get on your knees, woman, and promise not to eat the thing that tastes kind of yummy that's everywhere. That's that, everywhere, but also that is killing us. Well, I mean, at this point, yeah. you know, what are you going to do? They've already said they're not going to leave the island. Um, so eat the gray fungus and fuck. <laughs> eat the gray fungus, combine your tents, and have a good time. Might as well go out with a bang. Bang. <laughs> Uh, she promised on her knees not to touch it again, however great our hunger. After she had promised, she told me that the desire for it had come suddenly, and that until the moment of desire, she had experienced nothing towards it but the most extreme repulsion. Are they in, like, the Garden of Eden now? <laughs> it's like the opposite of the Garden of Eden. Everything sucks except the patch they're on. Yeah. And now she's eating the dirty fungus. Not even presented as like a tasty looking apple. No, it's just like. Later in the day, feeling strangely restless and much shaken with the thing that I had discovered, I made my way along one of the twisted paths formed by the white sand like substance, which led among the fungid growth. I had once before ventured along there, but not at any great distance. This time, being involved in perplexing thought, I went much further than hitherto. Suddenly, I was called to myself by a queer horse. I want to go back and count how many times he uses the word queer. By a queer horse sound on my left. Turning quickly, I saw that there was movement among the extraordinary shaped mass of fungus close to my elbows. Ew! It was swaying uneasily as though it possessed life of its own. Abruptly, as I stared, the thought came to me that the thing had a grotesque resemblance to the figure of a distorted human creature. Even as the fancy flashed into my brain, there was a slight sickening noise of tearing, and I saw that one of the branch-like arms was detaching itself from the surrounding gray masses and coming towards me. The head of the thing, a shapeless gray ball, inclined in my direction. I stood stupidly, and the vile arm brushed across my face. Ew! The fuck? Ah! Uh, I gave out a frightened cry and ran back a few paces. There was a sweetish taste upon my lips where the thing had touched me. I licked them, and it was immediately filled with an inhuman desire. I turned and seized a mass of fungus, then more and more. I was insatiable. In the midst of devouring, the resemblance of the morning's discovery swept into my mazed brain. It was sent by God. I dashed the fragment I held, then to the ground, then uttered, then utterly wretched and feeling a dreadful guiltiness, I made my way back to the little encampment. 
I think she knew by some marvelous intuition which love must have given so soon as she set eyes on me. Her quiet sympathy made it easier for me, and I told her of my sudden weakness, yet omitted to mention the extraordinary thing which had gone before. I desire to spare her all unnecessary terror. I think she. I think they can be honest with each other at, at this, this point, point. I think honesty is probably the best policy. They're on demon grayscale, like creepo island with like detachable arms. Yeah. Like making you taste their fungus. Is this like all a sex parable? Uh, <laughs> that's a horrifying thought. I mean, he's like, oh, I couldn't, couldn't resist. It is, it is an upsetting story to be reading in the middle of a plague quarantine. Yes, it definitely is. <laughs> but for myself, I had added an intolerable knowledge to breed an incessant terror in my brain, for I doubted not, but that I had seen the end of one of those men who had come to the island in the ship in the lagoon, and in the monstrous ending, I had seen our own. Thereafter, we kept from the abominable food, though the desire for it had entered into our blood. Yet our dire punishment was upon us, for day by day, with monstrous rapidity, the fungoid growth took hold of our poor bodies. Nothing we could do would check it materially, and so, and so, we who had been human became, well, it matters less each day, only... Only we had been man and maid. And day by day the fight is more dreadful to withstand the hunger lust for the terrible lichen. A week ago we ate the last of the biscuit, and since that time I have caught three fish. I was out there fishing tonight when your schooner drifted upon me out of the mist. I hailed you. You know the rest, and may God, out of his great heart, bless you for your goodness to a a couple of poor outcast souls. There was the dip of an oar, another, then the voice came again, and for the last time, sounding through the slight surrounding mist, ghostly and mournful, God bless you. Goodbye. Goodbye, we shouted together hoarsely, our hearts full of many emotions. I glanced about me. I became aware that the dawn was upon us. The sun flung a stray beam across the hidden sea, pierced the mist dully, and lit up the receding boat with a gloomy fire. Indistinctly, I saw something nodding between the oars. I thought of a sponge, a great gray nodding sponge. The oars continued to ply. They were gray, as was the boat, and my eyes searched a moment vainly for the conjunction of hand and oar. My gaze flashed back to the head. It nodded forward as the oars went backward for the stroke, and the oars were dipped. The boat shot out of the patch of light, and the the thing went nodding into the mist. The end. Ew, they, they, they all, they just got eaten by it, like, while they sat there and listened to the story. Didn't they just get, like, gray there's like a gray sponge on the oar and the yeah the, the guy on the like boat in the gray. not their ship are you sure oh the oars dipped the oars dipped it's it's the the guy yeah from the the boat oh, that came for a second i was like oh shit did he just like fuck them up no no they were watching receding into the distance his boat his boat and like he oh. he had become 
one with the lichen and had also contaminated the boat and the oars, and so he had become indistinguishable from his boat Ew. and oars. Ew. That's, that is like, first of all, I hope they finally just joined their tents and had some sex. Because, you know what, and, and eating the moss. Because, you know what, at this point, if it tastes if you're going good, out, you might as well enjoy something. If it tastes something. good, do it. And if it feels good, try it. Like that's <laughs> like, oh. come on. If God put you in that position in the first place, He'd want you to have a good time. Like, yeah. come on, yeah. Ew, grayscale. Ew, like it's not even grayscale. It's uh, it's like fungi scale. Yeah. You've been all you're, right. You're being eaten by mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was gross. That was unsettling. That was upsetting. That was a very upsetting, like, but we did learn a lot about the poop deck. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So if you found that story as unsettling as I did. Then it's spooky season. <laughs> uh, welcome to the second week of October. Yay, spooky. We are closing in on Halloween one week at a time. Uh, uh, it's also your birthday week. Uh, yes, my birthday was yesterday, as you are listening to this, if and you are listening to it on the day it was dropped. Today. And today is um, uh, my brother and our Patreon patron, Patreon patron, uh, Craig, and his wife Elizabeth's uh, first wedding anniversary. Yay, congratulations. So, happy anniversary to you guys. Happy anniversary. And uh, my mom, well, I probably, oh no, they know. Uh, I was going to oh. say, I don't want to spoil the surprise if it's a surprise, but it's she not. She made a quilt. My, my mom made them a very cool quilt. With all their like wedding decoration yeah. fabrics. Yeah, it was really cool. We saw it today. Um, so yeah, uh, Craig is a patron, uh, and you can become one too by going to patreon.com. We also signed up for Buy Us a Cup of Coffee. So if you go to our webpage, you can just click the button there, um, or you can go to um, buyacupofcoffee.com. Basically, go to www.campfireclassicspodcast.com, and there is an icon on the first page that you can click. It's in the header, isn't it? Yeah. It's on the header, so it'll be on every page. However, it is not on the mobile site. Because, because it's a giant the button. button is enormous and unwieldy, and it made it look like our entire website was an advertisement for Bias a <laughs> Cup of Coffee, and that felt weird. So it's not on the mobile site. It's on the, the, the main website for computers, and there's a little button on our header. Or you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash campfireclassic. Not classics. I couldn't put classics because apparently that's too many letters. So it's classic as in one singular one. A singular classic. And that's perfect because you buy us a cup of coffee because you want to make one singular donation as opposed to being a patron, which is multiple donations. Look at that. It's like I planned it. Ain't you slick. (laughs) But yes, please do that if you can. Even more so because the world's crazy right now and we know a lot of people are having financial woes. Um, (laughs) uh, yes, yes, pass that bill, somebody, please, thank you. Um, but, uh, if you just want to do us the biggest favor, like us, give us a five-star review wherever you're listening or wherever you can can review podcasts and share this with a friend or friends, um, because 
knowing that people are enjoying this and people are listening gives us super enjoyment as well. Gives us a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Even though we're recording on the <laughs> on bed because we live in New York apartment. Yeah. <laughs> it is the but- largest flat space where we both can sit. <laughs> All right. I think that was a Um, nice. Oh, I want to give one more shout out to um, if you want to check out um, Yield Crime podcast. um, These ladies, uh, Lindsay and Madison, um, featured us on their most recent episode. So now last week's episode. And uh, they actually uh, used one of my stories as a listener story and uh, for a real life ghost story. So I might share that in like a couple weeks, like actually tell my ghost story, like as part of ours, just because it's fun. But I don't want to steal their thunder. So you should go to them first um, and uh, go check out Ye Old Crime podcast, which they do all true crime, but it all has to be pre-1900. So it's very in the realm of what we do. We do old classic fiction and they do old classic true crime. So um, they're great. I've listened to their episodes. They're very fun. They're also new. They're just taping their 20th episode. So give them their support. Uh, Give give them your support because they supported us. So uh, check that out. Um, It's the werewolf one that we're featured on. And but follow them and like them as well. Which is also if you're looking at the dates, the first episode they released in October. Yeah. So spooky season. I think that's it. Linus says hi. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> and so do I. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. We left him out there today. Alan. Yeah. Alan was banished because he swore too much. Yeah. He got put in Facebook, too. <laughs> Filthy mouth that yeah. Alan the Demon Dinosaur. Oh, my gosh. We were like, boy. Um, but, yes, I think that's it. So, it's 420, so we should get some edibles. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for joining us here on Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your show. Oh, hi.